there's obviously lots of ideas floating out there. I have lots of ideas all the time. And, um, you know, generally I need to work through them from a commercialization and a productization perspective. So to say, hey, is there really a market out there for what I'm thinking about? Um, and once I have validated that, then I kind of jump in with both feet. Welcome to Uptech Report. This is our Apply Tech series. Uptech Report is sponsored by TerraLeap. Learn how to leverage the power of video at TerraLeap.io. Today, I'm excited to be joined by my guest, Shane Scaff, who's based in San Diego, California. He's the CEO at Luma. Welcome, Shane. Good to have you on. Thanks, Alexander. Thanks for uh, having me. Now, Luma is an underwriting platform powered by AI for the commercial real estate uh, space. Help me understand, Shane, what was the problem that you guys set out, you and your co-founder set out to solve? What was that problem? Yeah, well, my co-founder is the chairman and founder of a a bank here in San Diego called ABP Capital, a gentleman by the name of Michael Persol. Um, And he came to me in January of 2018 to um, really kind of find out what was happening in and around kind of innovation for uh, originating commercial real estate loans. Um, was there any software products out there that that he could plug into to help him monitor um, how he manages his existing loan portfolio? Um, I had not traditionally operated in that in that space. I'm a career technologist, so um, I've spent my career building AI and, and ML platforms. Um, but I spent the next few months kind of looking at who was doing what in that space, uh, so that I could come back and 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 intelligently have a conversation with him about kind of where I thought uh, the market was in, in terms of uh, innovating within the commercial lending uh, space. Got it. Okay. Well, we'll come back to again, how you guys are solving that, yep. that challenge with commercial lending, but I, I'm curious a bit more on, on your journey. You said you, you're, you're used to being in, in the tech space using AI and ML. You had a company um, maintenance net. Is that correct? Yeah. yeah. 2004, you had that 12 years, which was acquired by Cisco in 2015. What, what was, was that the beginning of your entrepreneurial journey? Um, more or less. Um, yeah. In the, in the tech space. I mean, I, prior to that, um, you know, I, I went through the mid to late '90s um, selling technology infrastructure for uh, okay. for a, a couple of different companies. Um, but yeah, I launched MaintenanceNet in '04 um, originally to really help companies automate how they manage and transacted annuities. So automate how they renewed service agreements, how they renewed software license agreements, and 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 such. And so our platform basically told them which of their clients had the highest propensity to renew. Um, the machine would automate quotes out to those clients and get them to renew without talking to people. Mm, that, that would be powerful for the sales team. Uh, that makes now sense why you built that coming from the sales background. You probably were doing that at these companies. Like, there's got to be a better way to automate this. Yeah, it was more from a perspective of, you know, salespeople don't touch like small renewals because it just costs too, mon- too much money. Um, so what we did in that space is took uh, we, our clients were massive companies that had massive volumes of very low dollar renewals that um, are for a human to go after would just be too expensive. Mm. But in aggregate, if for a lot of these companies, it represents billions of dollars of renewal revenue that can't be ignored. But the mm. only way to get at it is with machines. And, and that's why we, we built that. But as a salesperson, um, when kind of the dot bomb hit, um, hardware margins went plummeting. 
Mm. And uh, which means we were as salespeople making less money on the products that we were selling. So I had to find a more profitable uh, uh, product to sell to my clients. And that was in the service arena. So selling service renewals, selling software was more profitable. And so I put together a little MySQL database that would tell me when service coverages were expiring so that I could go renew it. So that was like, that was the premise for maintenance net. Obviously I, once we started it, we took it a step further, which was not having me renew it, but having the machine renew it um, on behalf of the salesperson. So mm-hmm. it cost me less money, cost the organization I was working for less money. Everybody's happy. <laughs> so you, you come from a sales background, uh, training and everything, or like where, where did the technology piece, you just were always interested in technology? Yeah, I mean, I, uh, yeah, I mean, I was, I had a business degree. I came out of uh, University of San Diego, um, basically went right into selling um, and right really into technology selling. You know, I started my career selling um, digital alpha systems. So there used to be a company called Digital Equipment Manufacturers, which got purchased by Compaq, which got purchased by HP. Um, And uh, yeah, I, I really learned the tech piece just, you know, by doing. Uh, and by consuming information on the job. Uh, and, um, you know, I, I'm still, not, I'm not a coder. I wouldn't consider myself a technical person. I understand enough about technology to sell it. Mm. Hey, because we have many um, SaaS founders and leaders uh, who listen to this. If you had one lesson learned of selling technology, what would that be? Um, well, mine is that I just, focus on hiring people way smarter than myself (laughs) in every aspect, not just on the technology side. So yeah, because I am, I am not a scientist. I'm not an engineer. I'm not a developer. um, I have to work with really smart people that know that space. I know, I know where, uh, where my strength is. I am, I stay in that lane, hiring smart people around you to do those things that you're just you know, not optimal at, uh, is I think for me has been successful for me. So post acquisition, uh, acquisition with Cisco of your, uh, first main company maintenance net, I guess you spend the next few years just advising and, and, and helping other companies. What would that look like? Well, I had to stay on with Cisco for a year. So I had, I had contracts part of the acquisition. I stayed on with them until the summer of 2016. Um, and I pretty quickly jumped out of that, not because I mean, Cisco is an amazing company, but I'm just not good at working for big, large organizations like that. I mean, there is a skill set um, there that, uh, you know, I just don't, uh, didn't feel I had and, and quite frankly, just didn't enjoy. Um, but uh, yeah, so uh, my partner and I, um, even prior to selling Cisco, set up a little uh, venture fund that basically allowed us to make investments into early stage SaaS B2B enterprise software companies. And uh, so we had been making those investments. Um, when I left Cisco, I started to take more of a, uh, of a role in that and spend mm-hmm. a lot more time talking to companies. Um, we then, uh, that's Morning Ventures, yeah. Then we started up an incubator in San Diego to really help um, technologists have a place to go to, to kind of work out their ideas. And that was called the Sandbox San Diego. And that's really where Mike and I brought the Bluma concept to. So we actually started building the Bluma technology in that incubator in uh, summer of 18. 
Yeah. So first the idea came or, or my, you said Michael had this idea and you're, you're incubating it, you're kind of investing in it, but you're not actually running it yet. At w- what point did you decide to jump in? And then like, was it already from that point? You're like, I'm going to run this. No, I mean, the way we, the way I, I, um, I think about things is, you know, there's obviously lots of ideas floating out there. I have lots of ideas all the time. And, um, you know, generally I need to work through them from a commercialization and a productization perspective. So to say, Hey, is there really a market out there for what I'm thinking about? Um, and once I have validated that, then I kind of jump in with both feet. And so with, with, with Bluma, yeah, I mean, I, Mike and I had been talking for six months and I had been kind of working out the, the productization and commercialization of what I thought we could build. So I talked to banks, multiple banks, about what we wanted to build locally here. Um, talked to a couple of banks up in L.A., um, and then it wasn't until I had enough validation that what we were thinking about doing um, was going to be acceptable um, by you know multiple folks that that I had surveyed. Um, that's that's when we decided to jump in. And so I kind of got kind of verbal commitments, if you will, that said, "Hey Shane, yeah, if you could build something that automated how we do pre-flight on commercial loan origination." I would buy that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then it wasn't, in, and then it, once we had that validation, then I jumped in in the summer of 18. We started to build the platform. I took some of my folks out of Cisco uh, that had worked for me on the product side, on the development side, and we started to build the platform. I'll be frank, uh, loan origination is not very sexy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what, what got you excited? Like what, what's driving you in this business? Well, Alexander, neither is maintenance or service contract renewal. So that is you know, true. I, that is very true. What I, you know, it's so it is funny because I mean, what I think is sexy is solving something that is really difficult, right? I mean, and and on on in both on both of those businesses, I mean, on maintenance renewal and and software license renewal, you know, there's just and there's still so much room to run over there. I mean, I thought about you know, should I go back and, and do that space? Right. But I, I was a little bit burnt out on that space, mm. but for those out there that want to do something in that space, it's a greenfield still. So okay. go have that. Um, so yeah, it's like, you know, when I was looking at what was happening in lending in general, um, specific to, to real estate, um, I looked at what, what the residential space was doing. And in fact, cause I interfaced with that space more just through my own, uh, activity, buying homes, selling homes. Um, and I felt like the residential space was more than a decade ahead of commercial real estate. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, that was a huge aha moment because it, it, if I looked at the resi space and I saw nothing, I'm, I might've, I would have probably thought, you know what, it's too, too still too early. Like it, the, 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 the market is not ready to buy this type mm-hmm. of product. But when I saw that, what was happening on the resi side, I thought, you know what, like they're 10 years ahead. Like we need to, the commercial, commercial space is ready. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I got real excited and I looked at the, the organizations that were buying innovation on the resi side, they had massive commercial real estate businesses, which told me that there's just a lack of product in the marketplace. And, mm-hmm. and, so the combination of the, those two things just really got me super excited and, and um, why I spent my, my summer of, of 18 uh, starting the build. And we built all through 18 and all the way through 19. And we didn't launch um, our 
commercial product until January of 2020. Oh, interesting. Okay, so you spent a good full year and a half, two yep. years, just focus on building the product, yep. which is funny to me as, as a salesperson, I feel like you'd be ready, like, let's sell, <laughs> like, let's get it out there. Well, I'm always selling, but you mm. know, during that process, you're selling on what we're doing so that you can come out of it with, with you know, with, with, with bookings. And so, can yeah. you share a tactic on that on that one particularly? How what is a good way to build up your wait list? Like what were you doing tactically? Yeah, I mean I was um so a lot of those banks that I was surveying like pre-product um were our first customers, right? So um they they gave us r- real wonderful access. Some of them, you know, a couple of them literally were part of our product team. They gave us access to their underwriters. So before we started coding even at all we had access to underwriters that helped us map out all of the manual activity that went into originating a new commercial real estate loan, auditing a current loan portfolio and so forth. Um, we modeled all that out and then we brought in the product team and developers said, okay, what pieces of this can the machine take over to really move the people to their art of their job? Um, you know, we don't ever look at, at technology, you know, AI, ML, or anything else as a means to replace people. We really look at it as a means to do more with the people that you have, right? So everybody looks at it as a, as a cost takeout, and it certainly mm-hmm. is. But it, what eventually happens is the customers see it as more of a, as an, an uplift in production with the same headcount that they have. Um, and so, yeah, during that time, I was talking to banks, you know, and I, every time I could get introduced to a new bank, I would tell them the story about this is what we're building, you know, and, and the product, this is where the product's at. And, you know, we're looking at a commercial launch in January. And so by the time January 2020 came around, I had already had been talking to lots of banks. Most of my, the banks were the banks in my network, which are, you know, big national banks. And, uh, and then we had, we jumped right into discussions, you know, obviously the pandemic hit, which was a massive, you know, blow. Um, but we, you know, we, during, from March through most of 2020, we sold mostly on portfolio monitoring because these banks were now thinking like, how is this new environment going to impact my current loan portfolio? And because we're doing this continuous monitoring of the loans, of the assets in their loan we could actually tell them what was happening with that loan portfolio. And essentially, you know, we, a lot of the, most of the clients we signed in 2020, I had already been talking to in 19 before we even had a product built. Mm, Interesting. Okay. So let's take a second and switch over to the tech piece for a moment, knowing you're not a technical person, but you know the technology to be able to sell it. Um, Help me understand, like, just let's dive a little bit, a little bit deep into how does it work? Why does it work? uh, Where's the value? Yeah, I mean, look, it's you know, it, you know, people think AI and machine learning is magic, and and they also think when 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 they see an AI platform, they think it's like all AI, right? And so, uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning um, generally are scary to highly regulated environments like commercial banking, right? We're using a we're only using artificial intelligence in in two pieces of our product. One is in how we read documents, so you know, we allow Clients um, on the front end of origination, they can upload offer memorandums, broker packages, uh, unit mix, uh, rent rolls, P&Ls. We wrote all the models to read read those packages. Um, And then the second place is when they're interfacing with 
rent comparables, sales comparables within the platform, they're actually training the machine on what's important to, to them or the various asset classes that they're looking for comparables on. Those are really the two spaces where we're using artificial intelligence. The AI is not making a decision for the client or for the bank. Um, it's literally helping them have information for them to quickly make the right decisions for, um, for their organization. Um, and so that, that's where we're using AI. I mean, you know, the rest is around you know, automation through a wonderful user interface, which we've built. You know, we've taken all of these point solutions that exist within lending, like data gathering on comparables, like cash flow analyses and valuation, and uh, like OCR tools. We've mm -hmm. just bundled all of that within the Bluma framework so that they have one spot to go to do a lot of different activities. The concept and technology of reading a document using AI to understand what's in a document is, is not, it's not new. And honestly, there's a lot of solutions out there, but it's, it's how you've wrapped it up. It's the UI. It's the experience that you're providing tailored specifically to commercial loan. It's the, it's the, yeah, it's the platform. I mean, the UI is really the user experience and how they, how they experience the technology that you've built, right? The AI helps bring information together. Um, you know, we have models within the platform that helps to take that information. And we obviously have the ability to calculate and provide results that our customers can look at and then make decisions around. So yeah, it, it's, it's how you wrap that all together. That is really the power because wonderful technology that doesn't allow people to make like really quick decisions generally just stinks, right? It, you know, so, um, so we, we, we want to produce something for the users that is easy to understand and quick to react on. Mm -hmm. This underlying tech, it, it, I feel like there's, there's, it's becoming a staple in, in some ways. Are, are you guys utilizing a lot of the, the, the existing um, solutions that are out there and just being able to apply it in new ways? I mean, in some spaces, I mean, we're, I'm a, I'm a big believer in buy versus build. Um, so, you know, shortening product to market uh, time is, is super important. And so, as you said, OCR, so on the borrower guarantor side, you know, we can read bank statements, tax returns, K1s, but those technologies are, have been out there for a long time and they're getting better and better and better. Why would I go and reinvent the wheel there? Right. So we generally look for the best companies in categories and where we can buy or license, we will. And in that case, you know, we, we license a tool to, to, to read those, that, that side of the house. Um, yeah. The loan originators, those, those, these individuals, these companies, these, these banks, what were they using before you is, was there not a solution for this space? Um, there, like I said, there's multiple solutions, but they're all point solutions. So, mm -hmm. you know, today, you know, you've got a lot of these guys going from a data perspective, they go to, you know, a data provider like, um, like CoStar to pull comparables or, um, and they've got their Excel spreadsheets to do their modeling. And then they have a different tool to do the cash flow analysis and, um, and then a different tool to do the spreading of tax returns. So it, there's all of these point solutions. So yeah, there's, there's all kinds of solutions out there, but um, nobody's really um, bringing all of them together into a platform that allows a user one interface to work out of. And then that interface can deliver the resulting information 
back to internal systems that need that data. So for instance, like, you know, our clients, a lot of them have loan origination systems that they're working in. They can continue to work in those LOS systems. We can actually identify when a deal comes in, do all of the analysis that we do, and then push the data back into that system that their underwriters or analysts are currently working in, right? Makes it super easy. We don't have to break process. There's no forklifting of one software system to put in our system. So um, the way we've built our platform and, you know, it's, we're, we're in a, uh, AWS, um, the way we built our platform, it makes it easy to plug into systems that exist within um, our customer base today. Obviously, you're somewhat biased, but with this COVID and, and push to um, uh, remote work and people like, are we going to re-up on our leases, et cetera, and thoughts? How, does, how do you see that affecting the commercial side of, of, of loans? and Because and, um, I'm, I'm assuming real estate, commercial real estate is one big piece when it comes to commercial loans. Yeah, I mean, I, we, and we, we see all asset classes going through our system. And um, I mean, I can tell you, you know, the things that you would assume are happening are like, you know, hospitality has gotten crushed mm-hmm. and it continues to be super difficult. But like multifamily and industrial, I mean, even in Q3 of 2020, we saw we saw it starting to come back pretty, pretty um, hardcore. And it's now it's like amazing. I mean, there's, you know, multifamily industrial um, is uh, is super hot. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, and even I think office space is going to come back. I mean, you know, I think people initially thought and, and I was like, oh, my God, what's going to happen with with office space and are people going to go back to the office? But I think as, as COVID continued to last, people were like, I can't wait to get back to the office. Um, I know like we moved into a new office, you know, just recently and our people, you know, we're not fully back in, but Mm -hmm. people can't wait to get back and, and, and be around one another. Mm -hmm. So I don't think it's going to have the dramatic impact that everybody thought it was at the beginning of COVID I think the work environment is going to change the way office space is utilized is going to change. Um, but I think there's going to still be a, continue to be a high demand for office space. I think hospitality is going to come back. Um, mm-hmm. It's just, you know, that's going to come back as we start to see, you know, Delta and some of these, you know, whatever else is coming down the pipe, uh, you know, subside a bit. Um, and I mm-hmm. think, you know, I think hospitality will also, they you know, it's this commercial real estate's the second largest asset class in the world, right? So it's, you know, it's not a matter of, of when things are, are going to start happening again and, and deals are going to start flowing through all asset classes. It's just a matter of when. Yeah, got it. Not if not when. You, you said you got a new office. The team for your team, uh, most of them are in that area. How big is the team? Yeah, we've got um, we've got a, an office in, in, um, in Israel, which we do a lot of our a backend development in. Um, we've got an office in Austin, um, which is another kind of technical center for us. Most of the folks are here in San Diego. Um, and then we've got a couple of remote sales folks um, around the country. But um, yeah, we're about 25 people now. Got it. Got it. Gotcha. Uh, for you, when you kind of look forward in this space to make a, uh, uh, any predictions, tech predictions on on. Uh, technology being applied to the commercial loan space. Anything you can imagine coming in five years, three, four, five years, anything you expect? I think that, I think what's happening, I feel like what is happening is that, um, you know, lenders, commercial lenders, private lenders, I think folks that have not traditionally focused on 
innovation are now kind of really starting to look at how to do things differently. You know, I think within, especially in the commercial banks, you've got these monolithic systems that aren't so friendly to talk to outside systems. Um, I think people are moving more towards building out their kind of data core and allowing these kind of ancillary systems that are needed to run the bank efficiently to feed out, feed into and out of that data core rather than to have like this big system that is a green screen that's super difficult to work with. Um, and so, you know, that's why we built Bluma the way we have, you know, we built it on microservices where, you know, it, even for ourselves, we have to subscribe, we subscribe to different pieces within our platform so that they talk to one another. And, um, and that's what we're doing within our customer base. So we want to be able to talk to systems that they have that need the, the results of our analysis and need the data that we have to go back into those systems so that they can do other things with it. And I think that's really where, um, where banking in general is, is going to. And you know, I'm having lots of discussions with some of the largest banks in the world. Um, and every one of them has some you know, massive in, uh, implementation going on within their technology stack. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I think, you know, it's going to move more towards this kind of nimble place where we can buy solutions for specific uses and have all of those systems kind of talk to one another. Mm, a global ecosystem of different systems talking to each other. Bluma, why the name? Um, you know, we kind of look at uh, lending and specifically in kind of real estate lending as like the seating of, of a building or the, or the, the, the renovation of a building, um, the new construction of a building, like, and, and that's really how kind of this Bluma came about. Um, I, I don't even remember who mentioned it first, but uh, it hit and we went with it. <laughs> uh, switching gears a little bit, uh, you as a, as a leader, um, you have a successful track record here, great at sales, run a whole startup and grows, gets acquired now, run a nice little uh, fund and then now you're running your next one. If you had to think of what has contributed to your success, maybe like the top two or three things that have contributed to your success so far, what would that be? I mean, the top thing is the people that, that I've surrounded myself with. I mean, without them, you know, I would have nothing. Um, so, you know, I just have such amazing, an amazing network around me. I've got people that have worked with me and for me for, for, you know, a decade or more um, that's, that still are, are with me. Um, I think, you know, curiosity um, is the reason why I keep doing things. Um, I am, you know, I'm a curious person and, and uh, I like, uh, I like to figure out how to build technology to make people's lives better. And yes, it's not, it's not a sexy space. It's generally not in a sexy space. I mean, you know, sexy spaces, you've got a hundred people trying to work on those, right? It's like, you know, there's almost nobody that wants to go in and do anything in banking for all the reasons that you and I know. Um, and, uh, and, and yeah, and then, I, you know what, the third is just, you know, I have fun doing it. I mean, if I, if I didn't, I would, I just, I couldn't do it. It's mm-hmm. too difficult in, you know, launching businesses, you know, funding businesses. It's, you know, it's not like a, a straight line. It mm-hmm. never is. And so unless you have, you can have fun doing it and you can put everything into perspective, of course, 
um, it's, you know, it's, it's not something that, that I would do um, if I didn't feel good about it. A, a lot of business leaders listen to our, our, our series as well. Time management, that's another big thing of, of how do you manage your time? And are, are you, you have a family, are you married? You- yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, time management is a big one. I you know, as I get, I've, I've gotten older, you know, I've, um, I think it's more about prioritization, right? When it comes to time management. So I've got three kids, you know, I've got a 15 year old girl, a 13 year old girl and a four year old boy. And I've been married for 20 years to a wonderful Swedish woman. Uh, I mean, that's my priority. So, you know, uh, making sure that I'm doing everything for them first Mm. um, is absolutely top of mind. And then again, the rat, the, on the work front, it really becomes, uh, uh, again, about the people. Like I couldn't, there's no way I could operate everything that I do without a uh, substandard, uh, people around me. It, it just, it couldn't happen. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's, that's really how I do time management. I've got, you know, great people that know how to do their job. So I don't have to spend the time doing it. If I have to tell somebody, everything they should be doing. They're the wrong person in the wrong position. Um, I rarely have to do that. I mean, uh, in fact, most of the time I've got people telling me what, you know, what I need to be doing. So it's like, I love it. You know, I want to be the one being pushed uh, mm. rather than being the pusher. Mm. You, you're, this is the second time, third time that you've referenced the, the, the power of people that has played in, in, in your success. I need some wisdom. All right, share, share some wisdom here of like, it sounds like you've hired the perfect people the entire time and they've just, you just had success all the way through. I mean, can you share any lessons learned when it comes to hiring the right people? Oh yeah. I mean, that definitely isn't the case. You know, I've hired lots of the wrong people, which isn't to say they were bad people. Um, you know, uh, in many cases I've hired people that I shouldn't have because I basically forced them into the wrong, the a position that they, they shouldn't have been in. Um, I've made, you know, I've hired, you know, family members, I've hired friends. So don't really, is that a good idea? And I know there are other people that say, oh yeah, working with family and friends is wonderful. It's if you can get it right, I can see how it's amazing. Um, but yeah, it, it, you know, it's that part has, you know, has rarely, uh, gone, gone right for me. Um, but yeah, for me, it's a, I think I've gotten better at really, um, seeing, what people enjoy doing and what they should be doing and then putting them in exactly that position. I think early on as an entrepreneur, um, you just want to get people in and hope that they do well in that position rather than say, oh, yeah, I, they're applying for this position. I can see they've done it before, but are they really, do they really have the personality or do they know enough about what themselves to think that they can actually pull this off? And I think I've got, you know, I've gotten pretty good at, at, at my age to actually see that you just because somebody wants to do something doesn't mean that they're the person that should be doing it. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just because they, they, they're there. It's, I, I feel like there's a, a multitude of stories within each of the statements you just shared of family members and friends and, and people that you shouldn't hire for you um, kind of going forward uh, from here. Um, what are you most excited about? Like it, it, whether it's, if you want to talk about um, Bloom and the roadmap there, or just for you personally or in technology, what are you most excited about? I mean, you know, Bluma is like a, we've got a greenfield. It is there. It is so wide open. There's so much that needs to be done 
just within the commercial real estate space. And so I see this field. I'm I just I'm super excited about it. And yes, there's competition. And yes, there's like big companies that are building these LOS systems. And everybody asks me like, you know, are you worried about them competing with you? And I'm less worried about these guys, these big, big companies than I am about, you know, the two people that are sitting in a dorm room, you know, you know, in some dark place somewhere, you know, those are the folks that I'm like looking for. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, yeah, I'm, I love the opportunity. I love what's, what's sitting out there. I'm excited about the other folks that I know around me that are doing things in different spaces and, and uh, just the, the amount of innovation that's happening in spaces that are long overdue mm-hmm. um, is just super, super exciting. So, yeah, I'm glad to be a part of it. For those that want to learn more about Bluma and the exciting things that they are doing there, you can go to Bluma.ai. That's B-L-O-O-M-A dot A-I. Thank you, Shane, for your time and sharing the journey that you've been on, the excitement and passion for potentially those might see an eh, interesting industry uh, and where you're headed. This has been awesome. Thanks, Alexander. I've had a great time. And we'll see you all on the next episode of Uptech Report. Have you seen a company using AI, machine learning, or other technology to transform the way we live, work, and do business? Go to uptechreport.com and let us know. 